Amen. Thank you. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. The first passage is from the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 23 to 26. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and heaping only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vapor and chasing after the wind. The second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 32 through 39. You can open it up, up your Bible or your pew Bible, your Bible app, if you'd like to follow along, or you can close your eyes and imagine this scene as it is in the Gospel. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to him, to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, How many loaves have you? They said, Seven and a few small fish. Then, ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. And I just want to just give you a word. This is not a Mother's Day sermon, but it is a sermon by a mother. So I will begin with a story, though, this morning. Tuesday afternoons at Regent College, one of my graduate schools, this one in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. This is the atrium. It was soup day on Tuesdays. After chapel, students would line up for soup and bread. You'd put two loonies and a toonie in a basket, and unless you're Canadian, you might not get that reference, but a loonie is a dollar coin with a loon on it, and a toonie is a $2 coin. That's how much the soup was. So you'd put a $2 in the basket, and you'd pick up your bowl of soup and big piece of Polish white bread. There was a giant container of peanut butter for the Americans, and there was jam and regular butter for everyone else. Usually there was just one kind of soup, but sometimes there'd be one with meat in it and one without. Um, it was a simple meal. It was also kind of messy and chaotic. As an introvert, I sometimes found it overwhelming, and I would often find an empty corner in this atrium to try to squeeze into with just a friend or two and watch the commotion. But the mood in the atrium was festive and bright and convivial on soup day. 
The soup makers would begin every fall with a long, dramatic apology in advance for the soup being too cold or too hot or too spicy or not spicy enough. This was an an international student body, so there was a lot of expectations about what food should be. For the jam having peanut butter in it and the peanut butter having jam in it. For the soup being not craft dinner. Craft dinner is macaroni and cheese. But it was during this season in my life where I really began to learn to eat. To learn that just as God cares about our souls, God cares about our bodies. And eating is part of our bodily existence. Though food is fuel, we need it to live. It is not just fuel. Because we worship a God who made good food and who made food good. And instead of being creatures who can subsist on soylent or meal replacement pills, we were given the gift of taste buds. We were given the gifts of fruit and grains, fire to cook with, eggs that you can prepare a thousand different ways. One word I think proves God's existence is souffle. That's not in apology textbooks, though, apologetic textbooks. But anyway, it's this, it, with this attitude and approach and story that I speak about today's petition in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. This follows the three, your petition. We've spent time on these last three weeks. And now we're making requests for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. And as we focus on this Petition today, give us this day our daily bread. We must remember that Jesus taught this petition to people who lived with hunger as a frequent unwelcome guest in their lives. In the first century of the Roman Empire, 80 to 90% of the population lived just at or below subsistence level. This means that they are hanging on by a thread. They are barely making it. They are literally living hand to mouth. It's a precarious existence. Medical bill, a death in the family, a girl born instead of a boy could break that thread. And and the poor subsisted mostly on barley, which they'd grind up and mixed with oil or water to make a kind of bread. Often they would dry it out and eat it like that. If they had a brazier, a little tiny kind of stove thing in their apartment, there was no ventilation, by the way, and there was one room, so imagine how your bedroom smelled. They would um, cook the bread on that. The poor would have access to vegetables, uh, turnips and onions, if you like those. And we sometimes imagine people in this time eating a lot of fruits, but fruit was a fairly infrequent treat, and if you had dessert, that would be it. And so this is the life of the crowds in this gospel reading. And in Matthew 15, Jesus has been leading a kingdom of God intensive for three days. He's been healing the lame, the blind, the mute, and many others, Matthew says. And people are praising God. But everyone's getting hungry. It's been three days. And Jesus is concerned about their physical well-being. He says, I can't send the people away hungry. They they might faint on the road. But the disciples, who are always pragmatic, um, Jesus, 
I haven't noticed a bakery here in the wilderness. Where will we get bread in the desert, hmm? I mean, are you seeing things we don't see, like a supermarket mirage maybe, hmm, Jesus? But Jesus says, what do you have? And they get together and they look in their pockets and their bags and they say, seven loaves and a few fish. And if you're thinking of like nice fish at the grocery store on ice, no, these are little dried fish that you'd eat kind of as a snack. Seven loaves and a few crunchy fish, and that's all. For 4,000 men plus women and children. I wanted to see how much food this would be. So I plugged it into a, a catering calculator, how much it would need, right? Guessing, a low estimate, 6,000 adults and 2,000 children. There was not an option for dried fish on the catering calculator, so I put in chicken. So you'd need about 11,403 pounds of chicken to feed 8,000 super hungry people. This could cost 27 to $41,000. And you'd need, on top of that, at least 16,000 rolls, but there are kids there, so probably more. And that is a lot of food. The disciples didn't have a catering calculator, but they had eyes, and they could see the thousands of people in front of them and this measly snack they had in their pockets, and it's probably crumbling up a little bit now, and they don't even know if they would eat it. I mean, they would because they're hungry, but it's not ideal. Give us this day our daily bread. But we approach this prayer quite differently than the generations of people before us. In North America and many other parts of the developed world, we're surrounded by food. Hungry? I have five grocery stores within a mile of my house. The average American household spends about 10% of its income on food, which is a very small percentage in comparison with what we used to spend historically and what's spent around the world now. For North Americans, food is easy and cheap to get, for, for most, the majority, right? Very few of us experience true hunger, involuntary hunger, in the way the first century Jesus followers did. Now, I am the first to say we have a lot of trouble with food in our culture, but hunger really isn't it, at least for us in our context here. But this request, give us this day our daily bread, isn't simply about food. It's about all our provisions. This is how Martin Luther explains what Jesus means when he taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread is everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, field, cattle, money, goods, a pious spouse, pious children, pious servants, pious and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. He was not known for being concise but I think we have it covered here, especially the like where you can add your own needs on there. And if you're concerned about the word pious, just sort of translate that as dedicated to the Lord. This might be a, a good quote to snap a photo of if you want to today. But even though this list is very thorough, it's also modest. It's simple, daily bread. Not all the bread in the grocery store, not all the bread you need for one year, the clothes that are needed, the shelter that is needed. 
And this request has a boundary, and it's the boundary that speaks to us in the here and now. This boundary, our daily bread, speaks directly into the false teachings of the prosperity gospel, which is rampant today, that teaches that God wants Christians to be wealthy and economically prosperous. But this emphasis, which I would say is a heresy, it forgets the petition of daily bread. This prayer is not a greedy prayer. This is a day-to-day prayer. You have to keep coming back each day to ask our good father for provision. Not because he can't provide you with a cupboard full of food. He can, 11,403 pounds of dried fish. But because God knows what's best for his children is to learn to trust. Learn to trust him as the one who gives the Israelites daily manna, the one who provides. And that's what Jesus did in the wilderness that day. Daily bread. Jesus takes the food and he gives thanks. He always thanks God, right? Jesus gives thanks. And then he starts a food distribution line. Breaking the bread, giving it to the disciples. Breaking the bread, passing it down the line. Doing the same with this crunchy fish. Breaking the fish, passing it on. And Matthew writes, all of them ate and were satisfied. Imagine being full. When you're used to simply being sated, you're used to being hungry, and then maybe if you get a little to eat, you're not hungry. But this time, they're full. They're satisfied. They're full of this simple food of dried fish and rolls. As I pondered this text this this week, I wondered if it was a little bit like the wine in the wedding in John's gospel. In that story, the wine that Jesus makes from the water is even more delicious than the first wine. I wonder if this bread and this fish is more delicious than it had been. So it's not just satisfying their need for hunger, it's satisfying their taste buds, their need to experience the beauty of God. It's it's a delicious meal of fish and bread, and they eat till they're satisfied, and then the disciples go around and pick up the leftovers, seven baskets full. And they did not throw the leftovers away. Maybe they kept them for another meal. Maybe they gave them to people for provisions for the journey home. Nothing was wasted. Give us this day our daily bread. So as we pray this petition each day, how do we open ourselves for God to form us in our prayer as we pray? Us, who are probably not hungry by circumstance. So I want to recommend some practices today. And these are practices that can help you align with the kingdom of God and the vision of food and God's provision that we see in scripture. Food is a huge, huge theme in scripture. It's based on the three parts of this particular petition. Us, this day, and bread. So we'll look at us first. The petitions in the Lord's Prayer are not individual. They're plural. We don't say, give me this day my daily bread. No, because we are all part of the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is not just you and Jesus alone in a canoe together. We are together here. 
right? Our faith is not just personal. There is a vital, vital group aspect to the Christian faith, and this stands in affront to our idol of individualism in the developed and Western world today. This is why church, this is why corporate worship matters. This is why we encourage you to be part of small groups, to come to worship each week together, because we are saved as a people, that's plural, the people of God. Give us. And when we say us, we aren't just thinking of our own local congregation, although that's part of it. The us expands through time and space. The Christians who have gone before us, because history matters, the Christians throughout the world today. It's this, with this idea that we have partnered with the Hindustani Covenant Church in India. Two weeks ago, there was a video mission moment which Yogi Mahendra shared about what's happening to the church in India because of COVID. He shared how six pastors in the Hindustani Covenant Church have died. This week, I heard another figure for all of the Christians in India. 350 to 400 pastors, bishops, and priests have died from COVID in India. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, these are including our brothers and sisters around the world and their physical needs. And when we say that, and we have our daily bread already we are petitioning on behalf of them and perhaps as we pray god is inviting us to be part of that answer to prayer the prayer of the church in india because it's not about you or me singular it's not just about what's on our table or in our cupboards it's about us give us this day our daily bread give our brothers and sisters in christ throughout the world their daily bread and jesus if you want us to be part of this solution you show us and i think he is this day let's look at this day as we pray this day give us this day our daily bread we focus on God's provisions for our needs right now. Needs. Needs. I think Luther summed up our needs well, but we can do it a bit more concisely. These are what human beings need to flourish. Clean air, food, water, shelter, sleep, love, relationships, and purpose. This is what we need to flourish. But we have so many wants, right? We have so many wants and we're surrounded by advertisements for new wants that tell us that if we get that, then we will truly flourish. I will tell you a confession. This week, as I was working on this sermon, I saw an advertisement for a nail machine that paints your nails and dries them in 10 minutes. And I I'm not good at painting my nails, and I thought, that looks amazing. I need that so that my nails look nice. And... Um, I, I, then I was like, Joy, you are ridiculous. And I don't, think, I don't think I'm the only person in this congregation who struggles with these feelings sometimes. So this is not my need this day. It will never be my need. It will never be my need. And we see these things that we want, and we think there are needs, and they're not. And we're all ridiculous. So pray for your needs to be met, just like Jesus instructs. Here's one way that you can do this. When you want something, if it's not a true need, Luther's list or this list, pray, take some time, take a break, discern, share with someone else, ask them if you're ridiculous. Do you need that new nail painting machine? 
Do you need that new car? Does it align with the kingdom of God? And we need to be asking these questions because if I don't buy that nail machine, I'm not going to, by the way, to make that clear. I can give that money to someone else who is also praying, give us this day our daily bread. And that money can be God's answer to their prayers. And my friends, my friends, God has gifted us so much. And there is so much God could do with our resources if we'd stick to how God is providing for our needs and then allow God to use our surplus to meet the needs of others, whether in India or at New Community Church in Chicago. Give us this day our daily bread. Last one, bread. Bread. Bread is a really simple food. It is historically the food of the people, at least in the West, rice. We can think of food of the people in the East. And and maybe you've heard of the bread riots in France in the spring of 1775 when bread shortages and high prices resulted in hangry mobs rioting all over Paris and into Versailles. There were 300 riots in 21 days. This is what happens when we're hungry for simple food. We don't need fancy food, but we need food. But... We live in a world where you can spend less than a minute on your phone ordering whatever suits your fancy, maybe not on Mother's Day, but most days, and then having it delivered to your doorstep in a, in a short amount of time, right? But this prayer for bread points us in the direction of the Christian practice of simplicity. And this isn't something I made up. This is part of the history of our, our faith. And this is an important word for us today, and it's deeply connected to the sincere praying of the Lord's Prayer. Because through this prayer, the Spirit forms us to seek God's kingdom, to seek God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus described as as the yeast that makes the bread rise, because God's kingdom is strange and hidden. It's hidden in a way, but it's deeply wondrous, yet simple. And it invites us into the kingdom practice of simplicity, Christian practices, you're familiar with some of these. Bible reading, prayer, corporate worship, fellowship, but historically, simplicity is also a Christian practice. Richard Foster writes that the point of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of his kingdom first, and then everything necessary will come in its proper order. When we say your kingdom come, we are joining in Jesus' mission, King Jesus' mission, that was not about the latest and greatest consumer products. It wasn't about wearing the trendiest clothes or having an up-to-date house. It was about God's kingdom. And this is uncomfortable for many of us, but that is not about material wealth. It's about life in the kingdom of God, which is sometimes described as an upside-down kingdom, where we pray for daily bread. And as we pray for daily bread in concert with our brothers and sisters in Shopta and throughout the hungry world, we can live into this with the practice of simplicity. Now, simplicity can be an overwhelming word. You're like, I don't know what to do first. This is hard. I want to offer you some. I don't know why I was talking like a robot. I want to offer you some simple ways to practice simplicity. So there's three. So the first way to practice simplicity with eating daily bread is to make soup. This is not an instruction in the Bible. This is Pastor Joy, not the Lord. But soup is good daily bread. It's nourishing. You can save the leftovers. In fact, they're better the next day. It is also eating in solidarity with the poor who eat soup, who eat things like beans and rice. 
So, um, or if you have a different cultural background and you're like, the simple food from my background is this, eat that. Simple food doesn't have to be bland. It doesn't have to be boring. A great example of a biblical perspective on simple food is the classic Mennonite cookbook, More With Less, there's a picture of it here, which sets out a kingdom vision of food and eating that's joyful and accessible. I know this book well. I was on the advisory committee of the 40th anniversary edition, so my name is in there somewhere, but I was a volunteer, so I'm not profiting from mentioning this book. So make soup or eat simply. Second, avoid wasting food. I mentioned earlier that we have a lot of trouble in our culture with food, and I stopped there because I could talk a long time about this trouble. But one I do want to mention is food waste in our country. The USDA reports that between 30 to 40% of the harvested food in our country goes to waste. This is a lot. But we see in the biblical story that Jesus' disciples collected the leftovers. It is not biblical to throw out food. It is wasting the resources it took to produce it and transport it and get it to our tables. I attempt to run a mostly no-food-waste kitchen in my home, so if you'd like to talk to me about this, I can help you. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. But as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and then we throw away 30 to 40% of our daily bread, we are not living in line with this prayer. So finally, and this is a good one. If these two were heavy, if you're like, oh, this, this is a good one. So eat with joy or eat joyfully. I don't mean you need to eat with me, but... Uh, I read earlier this passage in Ecclesiastes that invites us to enjoy food and drink as a gift of God. Actually, in that short book, five times the author tells the hearer to enjoy food. It's a gift of God. You know, so much in our world doesn't make sense. There's so much chaos and evil and trouble. But the author of Ecclesiastes says, in the midst of that, In the midst of that, God has given us food to enjoy, to sit at table with others, to delight in the taste of sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami, even if it's in simple soup, to give thanks for food. Because food, our daily bread, is a gift of God, and it's created for our enjoyment. So, whenever you eat, remember the stories of food and scripture Remember the story of Jesus who had seven loaves and he gave thanks for them. And then he took and he gave some to his disciples. Anybody want some? You want some bread? He gave some to his disciples and they passed it out to people and they ate it and everyone ate till they were satisfied. Imagine being hungry and sitting in a crowd of 8,000 people, not knowing what's going to happen next. And then the food just starts to come and be passed out. Hunger is the best sauce, so it's delicious. This is the work of the Lord. So every time that we eat, every time you gather with your family or friends or alone at your desk, although I don't really recommend that as a good eating practice, right? we are remembering God, the giver of good gifts, who gives us our daily bread. Jesus, who prays and gives thanks for it. 
Every meal can be a memory of this. It can even help us in anticipation as we prepare for the meal of communion together. So let us pray. Give us this day our daily bread, dear Lord, and help us to eat simply, remembering the us, our brothers and sisters around the world who have no food. Help us to steward food well. And more than anything, help us to eat with joy, to enjoy our food as a gift from you. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. Amen. So now, as we have in this sermon series, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer with meaning. And we will begin and and say it together. It will be on the screen through the portion of give us this day our daily bread. Then we all get to participate in the next part together. Turn toward people close to you and share and include even not just family members, but include a few other people. Share a need for a provision in your life or another life. If you can't think of a need for provision, pray for India. And we're going to pray together for a few minutes. It might be a little bit chaotic. That's okay. And then we'll come back together and finish the Lord's Prayer and finish in song. So let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray for provisions together.